Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilpo, joined tonight by my co-host, Matt DeBear. Matt, what's going on? I am I am deep in, in enemy territory at the worst possible moment, Bill. Which is funny, because both of us live uh, deep within respective enemy territories. I, we, You and I were talking a little bit before we came on the pod. Matt lives in Michigan country. I live in Ohio State country. And Matt, you were talking about how, like, horrible it was watching local media and how like celebratory it was of Michigan. It made me realize I made a big mistake, not listening to listening to local sports talk radio today to see what sports talking heads in Columbus, Ohio had to say about everything. Well, it is, I'm, I'm fortunate in a sense that I, I work for a small company, so it was, it's not like I'm inundated with, you know, dozens and dozens of Michigan fans, but, um, it's it's been hard to consume local media for the last week or so um and not get blindsided by a story about Michigan football and the national championship and the playoff and from in in, in from any angle you know it's it's the weather report well we're going to you know before the rose bowl la weather we're um you know travel you know what's it like getting to houston from from detroit that sort of thing but um we have we have made it um the Ironically, the sun did not come up today here. Um, it's been a cold, <laughs> rainy, dreary, miserable Michigan winter day. Um, so, so I don't know what that says. If if you believe in a higher power or something like that, if if you know you know that being has a sense of humor or not. But um, I digress. <laughs> uh, it, listen, man, if God isn't a Penn State fan, why is the sky blue and white? Uh, so yeah, somewhere. obviously. We're- I've, I've read that a lot. I once had someone say that to me seriously and, um, I, God almighty. Uh, but yeah, we're doing this one day after Michigan 34, 13 win over Washington in the college football playoff national championship game. Uh, if you're listening to this for part of what we teased the, uh, the bit about early enrollees, and we're, we are going to discuss, uh, early enrollees here in a little bit. That'll be a little bit later in the pod after the home field ad. Fast forward a bit. If you hear the home field ad, it's right after that. If you hear us talking about teenagers, that's when that is. But Matt, something I find very interesting. You go back to 2020, the 2020 Big Ten college football season. Penn State went four and five. Michigan went two and four. A lot of people remember this. Both of those teams started the, their respective seasons in just a really, really bad place. Penn State starts that year. Uh, they lose their first five games, 0-5 to start the year. Real existential crisis hours for us. Michigan starts that season with a win, then drops three in a row. They barely squeak by Rutgers. They go into that game against Penn State uh, at two and uh two and three Penn State then beats them Penn State's first win of the season Michigan ends up going on to uh that ended up being their last game because uh there was a COVID outbreak uh and then there was a fake COVID outbreak to Duck losing to Ohio State that year uh but ever since that time there are two programs that went in very different directions Michigan has turned into as we saw yesterday, the class of college football. And as we've seen over the last couple of years, the class of the Big Ten, while Penn State had a rough 2021 and then two back-to-back 10-win seasons where they just couldn't get over the hump. So what I want to do to start, I think it's very easy to look at Michigan and look at the last three years and think there's a level of hopelessness as a Penn State fan. What I think, and something I think you think, is that there are things that Penn State not can directly replicate from what Michigan did. Not, you know, they're not going to suddenly start uh, having the best offensive line in the country running for seven yards of carry, all this sort of thing. But when you watch what Michigan did, Matt, over the last couple of years, particularly this past season, are there any major things that you think Penn State, you know, James Franklin, as he's sitting down trying to figure out the future direction of his program, could end up taking and applying to his program in one way or the other. I think it's, it's the big picture stuff, Bill. It's the margins are so small. And, and like you said, these two, these two programs were, were, we'll overly simplify it here for a minute. We're basically on the same level in 2020. 
That was a bizarre year. And Michigan flipped the switch and lost two games the next three years. Um, capped with the 15-0 and national championship season this year, obviously. But you look at where, when those two teams faced off in State College in 2021, Penn State was, I believe it was Kalen King, and I don't know who he ran into, but you know, a freshman cornerback who went on to have a great Penn State career, running into a teammate that sprung um, the tight end whose name I'm blanking on, Eric All. Eric um, All. Who is no longer at Michigan. He transferred to Iowa. Um, they, they were that play away from potentially winning that game. They were up on a the Big Ten champion in a national playoff team um, with under five minutes to go. Um, and as a year that had kind of gone really sideways, Sean Clifford was super banged up at that point in the year. Um, it wasn't wasn't a great roster top to bottom. It just, you know, the parts didn't fit sort of thing. Um, obviously, the 2022 game did not go well. But then again, this past year, they they were right there with Michigan. Obviously, the offense had the issues that we've talked about all season long. But it's not hard to look at you know, from a big picture standpoint, I don't think look at where Penn state is as we sit here in early January, 2024. And they were, you know, a handful of plays away from beating the national champion. And obviously, you know, you are what your record says you are the results matter, all that sort of thing. But those margins are so small. And I think what Michigan did a really um, impressive job of um, on top of the, very obvious cheating scandal is they identified players that fit what they wanted to do. They developed them and they, they all cashed in their lottery tickets in a sense at the same time. Um, You know, you look at the guys on this roster that have played together for a long time and, and they have talented players. I think we were talking before we went on the air um, that Michigan kind of has this, this ethos in a sense of, you know, they don't recruit and then they don't, they don't recruit like the Ohio States, like the Georgias, like the Alabamas, but they recruit really well. They're one of the handful of teams that have that magic 50% or more ratio of four or five star players. You look at their roster, you look at their key players, five-star quarterback, Blake Corum, a four-star high four-star running back, Donovan Edwards, super high four-star running back. Um, the cornerback um, will, whose last name I'm blanking on all of a sudden, um, Will Johnson. Will Johnson um, was one of the top 10 players in the country. They've got a lot of guys like that. I want to say it was 12 or 13 of their starters are four or five star players. So they've, they've recruited and brought in really talented players and the supporting cast will say they developed well. They kept that core together. Um, we've talked a lot about how they have used NIL to keep guys around um, the number of guys that could have turned pro last year and been second, third, fourth round picks potentially that came back to win this national championship, they kept that group together. And I think that that really maximized this and flips going to just be doing somersaults when he hears this, they, they capitalized on their window. They, they had things come together perfectly over these last few years. And I think that's what Penn state can look at and say, Hey, if we keep doing what we're doing, tweak what we need to tweak, but if we can kind of, you'll get this right mix for a couple of years. Who's to say we can't do that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, first, and you mentioned it, we'll say it up top 2020. We just, you know, just mentioned this. They straight up ducked playing Ohio state because Ohio state would have beaten them by 70 points if they played that football game. And if that happens, you know, we can only sit here and speculate. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have been surprised if after that, after his billion plus in a row to Ohio State, Jim Harbaugh is out of a job. Quite frankly, I wouldn't have been surprised if that happened. And then that leads to an existential crisis for Michigan. And then obviously off of that, 2021 is kind of the uh, agreed upon start to their sign stealing scandal, which got Jim Harbaugh suspended for the last couple of regular season games uh, of this season. And you know, we'll see what repercussions end up existing down the road because of that. But stepping past that stuff, the number one thing for me is convincing guys to come back. Coming into this season, Bill Conley has his uh, returning production statistic, which 
it doesn't mean guys who who return necessarily. It's guys who return who like were part of your program because it's very easy to say Penn State has um, you know X returning starters. Well, what did those guys do? Coming into the season, Michigan was number five nationally in returning production with 81% of their production from last year coming back. Number four on offense, number 16 on defense with 84% and 78% respectively. Funny enough, the top two teams nationally were two teams that one was in Florida State, which we saw what happened when one cog in their machine went down in Jordan Travis. And two is Kansas, a team that pretty universally agreed upon punched above their weight this season experience is incredibly important having especially right now when you have COVID years and you could have guys who are 21 22 23 24 years old playing college football against guys who are 18 19 20 Penn State was 56th in the returning production metric this year 65 percent of the returning production on the roster on defense, they were 24th with 75% of their return to production. And we saw what happened with Penn State's defense this year. It just played like a unit that was perpetually in sync. Their issue was on offense. They were 102nd in returning production at 55%. Obviously, a big part of that was Sean Clifford moving on. But just think to yourself, what is this Penn State season if Parker Washington came back for another year? What is this Penn State season if Brent Strange came back for another year. And this is kind of the big picture stuff that um, you and I, Matt, aren't like in a position to fix or anything like James Franklin single-handedly is probably not in a position to fix that. But I look at that stuff. And then I look at the fact that Michigan has this very large, well-organized campaign called the those who stay NIL campaign, which last year did a huge job in convincing guys Blake Corum, Trevor Keegan, Zach Zinter, big name players who could have gone to the NFL to come back for one more year. And so far they have raised $653,000 towards being able to do that again. NIL sucks. It is a horrible, unsustainable model that hopefully goes away sooner rather than later. But like, it is also your best path to success. And Michigan was able to take advantage of that. And then the one other thing that sticks to mind for me, Matt, is... Well, well, first off, is there anything, are are there any other big picture things, any other, even smaller picture things that you could think of that would apply here? Yeah, I think you really hit on it. Uh, Probably the biggest thing there, Bill, is is that keeping guys around. And I think we've seen a little bit of it here um, in the last week or so with Penn State, keeping Devon Ellis, uh, Hakeem Beeman. um, There's a lot of talk that Keziah Zard is going to be back. Um, And so they've they've kept some of those guys, and there's a handful of other guys, Keandre Lambert-Smith is probably the biggest name out there that that may be coming back. But, um, no, I, I think that is kind of on the same line of what I was saying, that Michigan's kept this core together. They've done that in part with um, significant organized NIL programs um, really tailored towards, I think, what the Michigan fan base can rally around. Is, is we're, not, we're not out there paying guys – to come play here. We're not throwing, you know, huge six figure, seven figure deals at high school recruits. We're rewarding guys that have come to Michigan have shown that they are high level players and using, you know, this support to, to keep them here and keep this elite team together. Yeah. There, there's, there's, you know, for lack of a better phrase, there's an arrogance in viewing things that way, but it's an arrogance that works for them. And then the other thing that I wanted to point out was like, when things weren't working for them on defense, they dumped on Brown, got rid of his, uh, his entire style of defense, which is just, we're going to blitz. We're going to rush. We're going to play man coverage. And as a result, you can mesh them to death. And we saw Ohio state really pile it up Poor pour it on them. And after that, you know, how many times did we hear the uh, Kirk Herbstreet over the last two games talk about how they made it a point first in uh, getting uh, Mike McDonald to be their defensive coordinator and then Jesse Minter to be their defensive coordinator to be that Baltimore Ravens style of defense. So they changed up the thing that wasn't working, but they also committed to their idea of how to play football. 
you know, their principles of where a defense is going to strangle the life out of you, obviously they just did it in a little different way, but on offense in particular, everything is built around running the football. Everything is built around winning in the trenches. Everything is built around our play action game, all these sorts of things. And they never once ventured from it. And I bring that up because Matt, it's the frustration that we had this entire season where after years and years and years of trying to have this explosive offense from Penn state, they had to go so radically in a different direction because of personnel shortcomings, because of, you know, what they believed their wide receiver room to be their young quarterback, to be all these sorts of things. And to me, it was always more overcorrecting than getting better at what we do. And Michigan has always believed in getting better at what we do. And maybe I'm insane. Maybe you will tell me right here, Bill, you're insane. I don't think that's the right way of looking at things. But like, I watched the Michigan teams that sucked under Jim, those, actually, no, those first good Michigan teams under Jim Harbaugh, the ones with Will and Spade at quarterback. And I watched the teams that sucked with, you know, or weren't as good with Shea Patterson, with insert guy here at quarterback. And now I watch the national champions with JJ McCarthy at quarterback and they got the five-star quarterback. They have thought they needed to get to that next level, but he's within this system that just works and is so hammered into how they play and their program's identity that, you know, I'm sure there are things they've changed up, but those principles have remained from day one to where they are right now. Yeah, that's that's really it. It's they've they figured out who they are, what works. Um, you know, an assist from Jim's big brother in Baltimore sending um, you know some some staffing uh, assistance to his his brother in Ann Arbor, um, and and they they realized and, and there's the parallel with Penn State here this past year, realizing what they have been trying to do for the last three years on offense just doesn't work whether it's personnel, whether it's, you know, X's and O's and play calling from the coordinator or whether it's something else, you know, they, they made the change. They brought in Andy Kolnicki, as we all know, Michigan did the same thing and they, they reevaluated, I think on a bigger scale than Penn state needs to do. Um, you know, mm-hmm. as you said, there was that existential crisis where they were um, a alleged COVID outbreak away from probably blowing the whole thing up. You know, Jim Harbaugh took a 50% pay cut after that season. Um, a, a, 50, a 50% pay cut that made it a lot easier to fire him at the end of 2021. Exactly. Um, and not only did they bring in these new coaches, but they've, and you've heard whether it's Kirk Herbstreet or Joel Klatt or you know, any of the media who covers Big Ten football talk about really rethinking and rebuilding the culture among the program Um you know, the players talk about it, they've gotten younger, both as, you know, you know, on paper as, you know, the age of their staff, but it's not, you know, the same old stodgy Michigan football program that, that a lot of us, you know, certainly myself grew up, you know, where it was, you know, a very rigid and traditional way of doing things. They've, they rethought everything. And like I said, Penn State doesn't need to do that. I think that's a whole nother discussion, but James Franklin, I think, has, and, and we can argue all day about whether the the uh, the moves he's made to address those issues are the right ones. But he hasn't stood pat. He hasn't, you know, what we what we're doing is the right thing. We just need to be patient. He's realized, okay, we're not good here, and he, you know, you know, fires the offensive coordinator. We're not good here, and you know, brings a new wide receivers coach. He's, I think, actively trying to find that right mix and get back to. Um, you know, I think the, the team that is more, you know, what, what they want to be. Yeah. I I mean, you can only win 11 games by winning 10 first. You can only win 12 games by winning 11 first, which you can only do by winning 10 first. Like they're close. It's just that last little bit. Michigan found out how to get to that last little bit. It sucks. I hate it. I can't wait for Harbaugh to go take the chargers job. So I don't have to like look at his face anymore uh i can't wait for the ncaa to rule something that basically kneecaps this program i don't like michigan so i'm excited to see what bad things happen to them uh but i think it's 
uh, time to move on. We'll get to the early enrollee stuff in a second. First, we got to tell you about our podcast, longtime sponsor, Homefield Apparel. Of course, they've been sponsoring us since we decided to go podcast only. Uh, they watched last night the fine folks at Homefield Apparel as an Indiana quarterback in Michael Penix went up against a team with another Indiana quarterback in Jack Tuttle because the Indiana Hoosiers uh, are responsible for way too much of what happened in the national championship game uh, last night. But Beyond that, Homefield has been a great partner for us. They have some of the best apparel that you can get on the internet. Like I've mentioned a few times, I got the bomber jacket, their Penn State bomber jacket for Christmas, but they have t-shirts, they have uh, joggers, they have sweatshirts, they have crewnecks, they have hoodies, they have quarter zips, they have basically anything you want for your school or any other school that you might want to go out and uh, and purchase apparel for. And if you want to go out and purchase some apparel, whether it's for Penn State, whether it's for another school, Go use the promo code RLR23 for 15% off if it's your first order. Again, RLR23 for 15% off of your first order. Thank you, as always, to Homefield Apparel for sponsoring the podcast. Uh, but, Matt, let's talk about some teenagers from Penn State's number 14 overall recruiting class uh, in the country this year. Uh, good group. Yeah, they said that, that really set me up well there. No, it is. It's, um, and, and I mean, we'll have this conversation in three years and see how good they really are. Um, but one of the things that, that the coaching staff touched on on signing day last month was they felt like they, they addressed their needs and they you know, brought in guys that were they had identified and whether, you know, it's they're the highest ranked players on, on the recruiting sites or not, they by and large got the guys they wanted. They addressed the position needs largely the way they wanted. Um, and I think like we're going to talk about here tonight, it is, you know, they're bringing in a bunch of these guys early who will be here who are on campus now, actually, um, you know, going through winter workouts, they'll go through spring ball. Um, and I think there are, as we, again, as we talk about here, going through the offense and defense, um, a number of guys that are either through the positions they play or the talent they have or both are in line to potentially make a, an impact, um, to to some degree um, on the 24 season. Yeah. 16 of the 25 members of the class, uh, we're all, all rankings and whatnot are going to be coming from on three. Uh, so we call it, say it's the number 24, uh, number 14 class in the country, third best class in the big 10. And again, 16 of the 25 are going to be early in world weeks. So let's start with the offensive side of the football. Penn State uh, welcomed in the following players as their early enrollees. Egan Boyer, an offensive lineman. Josiah Brown, a wide receiver. Cooper Cousins, an offensive lineman. Ethan Grunkmeyer, uh, a quarterback. Quentin Martin, a running back. Luke Reynolds, a tight end, also the only player to have a five-star classification in this class 24-7. Named him a five-star prospect and number one uh, tight end in the country. And Garrett Sexton an offensive lineman. And Matt, what I want to do is I want to break this down into two ways. One is we talk about the recruit that we're most excited about during the 2024 uh, season, the guy that we think has the best chance to step on the field right away, make an impact for Penn State. And then the guy we're the most excited for over the long term. So let's start with the first one. You look at the 2020, you look at this uh, group of early enrollees and you look at Penn State's 2024 uh, season, who is the guy from this group that you were the most excited about watching them in this first year in Happy Valley? This is, I don't know if this is a cop out or not, but um, I'm, on the offensive side of the ball, it's Quentin Martin. Um, mm-hmm. One, he's on campus now. Um, and two, I think he, he's starting out at running back. I think um, you'll see him ultimately kind of all over the offense. He, he fits a lot of, I think what Andy Kolonicki wants to do. Um, you know, his ability to, to, play out of the backfield, play as a receiver, um, get the ball in different ways to, to a playmaker. He's kind of, it's just, it's a natural thing for him. If you go back and watch what he did in high school. Um, and I think he's, he adds an element of, to the passing game, especially of explosiveness and, and, and playmaking ability that they just obviously have not had for several years now. Um, you know, as great as Nick Singleton has been and Catron Allen has been as running backs and even as, as pass catchers, we saw Singleton catch the touchdown um, in the Peach Bowl. It's not as natural, for lack of a better term, for those guys as I think it is for Martin. Um, 
And like I said, he's starting at running back. And I think a lot of that is just, you know, easing the transition from, from high school to college. Um, but I'm sure as we get into spring practice and certainly fall camp here in several months, you'll be hearing more about him, you know, lining up in a bunch of different ways offensively. And I think, like I said, it's, it's, he's a guy that one is super talented. You know, that's the most important part here, but what Penn state has lacked on offense for a couple of years now, he really, I think can fill a big void there for them right off the bat. Yeah. Martin, Martin was my answer as well. I, you, Matt touched on a lot of it, but so much of what the offense was missing out on was just that guy who could provide a little bit of explosiveness, just that guy who you get the ball in his hands and he's going to make something happen. And Martin, uh, number 59 overall player uh, in the class, number two uh, ranked athlete in the class and the number one player in the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. He's a guy who fits that bill. You look at the way that Andy Kowalnicki's offense worked at Kansas. Devin Neal got the most carries at 203. His backup, Daniel uh, Hyshaw Jr., 121 carries. They were able to get a third running back, 45 carries. Uh, a guy in uh, Dylan McDuffie. Neal was also a pretty big part of their passing game. He was fifth in receptions, fifth in yards, caught a touchdown. For them, So when you look at how Kotal Nicky wants to get the ball to his athletes, to his really talented guys in advantageous positions, I think it's really hard not to look at a guy like Martin, who, like you mentioned, on campus uh, is going to be getting into Chuck Losey's strength and conditioning program right away. And with Penn State, the one guy that they've brought in at wide receiver in the transfer portal is Julian Fleming, not exactly the most dynamic guy in the world. We'll see what happens with Keandre Lambert Smith. We'll see what happens with Trey Wallace, but they just need a guy who is capable of getting the football in his hands in unique ways and making something happen. And when I look at this class and, you know, I watch the tape, Martin is the guy who can do that or has the best chance to do that from the rip and over the course of his, uh, over the course of his career. Long-term, Matt, there are a couple of guys who were viewed as projects in this class, or guys who, if not a project, it sounds like their best days are going to be down the road. Who is the guy that you're the most excited for long-term of these early enrollees? There's a couple guys that I was I was torn between for this answer, but I think the the obvious one is, is Luke Reynolds at tight end. Um He's he's the highest ranked player in the class for one, um, and just you know a guy that you know Penn State just keeps finding these guys out of New England, um, Massachusetts in particular, that you know are kind of off the radar to begin with, and then signing day rolls around and they've played their way into the top hundred, top fifty, whatever it might be. Um, Reynolds is just a guy that every time he's he's at one of these camps, um, best on best, or um, you, you see some of his senior year film. Every time more of that data comes in the guys that do this for a living just rave about him and he's a guy that sean fits it on three um and when he committed was super high on before he really blew up in the rankings um kind of a little bit different than maybe some of the tight ends they've brought in recently where he's probably not that day one guy between tyler warren coming back um khalil dinkins being back and um i'm not even going to get his name like it Andrew Rapley, I don't know if that's right or not, but the, the freshman that we heard a lot about this year, there's three guys in front of him that are um, kind of entrenched, um, that are, are the three guys. Um, so he's going to have that opportunity because he doesn't need to play right away um, to kind of grow into his big body, um, put on weight, learn the system, you know, all those things we talk about every year. Um, but long-term, his upside is probably as high of, as high as anyone in the class, if not the highest in the class. He, he was definitely one of the guys I was looking at for this answer, but ultimately watching the way that Ethan Grunkmeyer has gotten better over the course of basically the last two, year, year and a half, whatever it is, to me, it has to be him. His development from, 
I God, I don't even know what he was ranked when Penn State offered him, but he was he wasn't viewed as a guy who was going to end up being like a stud. He was viewed as a really nice player. Uh, you know, someone from Ohio goes to Olin Tangy High School, not exactly like one of the football powerhouses in Ohio, but he, by all accounts, every time he works out somewhere, goes to a camp, anything like that, he kills it. And you just wanted to see, or all the recruiting sites wanted to see, all right, what happens when he puts the pads on and he goes out there and plays football for, again, not the biggest powerhouse program in all of Ohio. And his senior year was fantastic. I, I, his, uh, his numbers per on three as a senior, uh, 3,517 yards, 39 touchdowns, nine interceptions. You watch him throw the ball. It just looks very, very easy. Not necessarily in the way that Drew Aller made it look easy where Drew looked like he could throw a ball 75 yards without trying, but that Brad Mandler training that he has, it's just effortless. The way that he throws the ball, everything just looks good with him. He's really accurate. He's really fearless, but fearless in a way that I think isn't going to hinder him. And I just like betting on guys who keep getting better. Obviously, Mike Yersich deserves a ton of credit for IDing this guy as, oh, this is someone I'm going to want in my uh, in my quarterback room. Got his commitment. He's continued to get better and better and better. And he doesn't have to take a single snap next season. It's going to be Drew Aller. It's going to be Bo Crabula. Fingers crossed Drew is off to the NFL after next season. And you get a year of Bo potentially as the starter. Or Ethan's there after a year of being in the system, of learning the offense, of doing all those things that you have to do. And he could compete for the starting job. So... Long-term, I, I I just look at how he's gotten better, and I think that he is someone who has the potential, has the talent to be the guy who's able to take over for Drew Aller under center. Uh, Matt, you mentioned there were a few guys that uh, excited you here. Is there anyone else you want to shout out before we move on to the other side of the football? I think there's, there's kind of a, a runner-up to the first part of the question, um, you know, immediate impact sort of guy and a runner-up to the long-term guy for me. Um, immediate impact, Cooper Cousins, the offensive lineman, was super impressive um, at the Under Armour, uh, or sorry, all the All-American uh, game down in San Antonio last week. Um, I want to say he was one of the th- like three or four on the top ten most impressive guys um, for the week rankings that came out um, through through one of the services. Um, one of our favorite things to do with with recruiting is the lazy comparison to guys you might remember from, from years gone by. Um Cooper Cousins has a lot of um, Connor McGovern to me. What, my favorite part about that comparison is that he's been on campus, I think, every weekend, it seems like. Um, <laughs> Connor McGovern, senior in high school, he was at every home game and you know, every recruiting week and all that sort of stuff. Um, I want to say that um, Cooper Cousins was on campus 25 times or something um, by you know from the start of his recruitment to when he signed. Um, he's on campus now. He's one of those guys, you know, offensive linemen we don't talk about very often being a guy that's going to make an impact right away. Um, he's a super high floor guy. Um, you know, just can play all five, all, all five positions on the offensive line. Um, he's, and he's going to have an opportunity because of um, some guys that are, that have graduated and are moving on to, to, to impact um, at least the two deep, I think as a freshman, the other guy is, is one of those long-term offensive line projects and, and Garrett Sexton. He's a guy that, um, I don't know what he was finally listed at. I don't know if you have that that page pulled up, Bill, um, size-wise. But big frame, doesn't have a ton of weight on him yet, but has that athleticism that that makes uh, offensive line coaches kind of kind of blush a little bit and, and get excited about what they can do with that. Um, he's going to need to put on a lot of weight. He's not a guy you're going to see um, certainly in, in 2024. I'm not even sure you see him in 2025, this, you know, He's, he's a guy that needs to turn that athleticism into a, a more polished game. But on three has him ranked as the 64th ranked player overall in the class, which might be a little ambitious, but that's, I think, more a testament to the, the potential they see in him. Um, but he's, he's a guy that's going to be fun to watch grow. Um, we've seen um, with Olu Fashanu is the, the easy example of guys that came in as um, kind of that, that – unmolded ball of clay that Phil Troutwine's done a really nice job in, in developing into more of a complete player. And I think Sexton 
not that he's going to be a top 10 NFL pick in, in four years, but I think long-term has that, you know, left tackle bookend type, type uh, ability. Uh, on three has Sexton listed six, six and a half, 265 pounds, uh, 24, seven has him listed six, seven, 265 pounds. Funny enough. Um, According to 24-7's eval of him, as a sophomore, he was a 6'5", 195-pound quarterback. Uh, so he is certainly bulked up a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I love the cousin shout. I mean, he's – one, everything that you potentially read about him is that this, like, high floor and high ceiling type of prospect at a position that's, like, pretty unglamorous. He's listed as an interior offensive lineman. But he's coming in 6'6", 320 pounds, and carries that weight really, 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 really well. And it's just hard for me to see a scenario where he is not a contributor to one extent or another. I'm not saying he's like the second coming of Olu Fashanu. I'm not saying he's going to be, you know, his uh, on-three comparison is Creed Humphrey, uh, formerly of Oklahoma, now is a star for the Kansas City Chiefs. Not saying anything like that, but a guy like McGovern would be a nice, you know, he, I, I, he could be a better player than Connor McGovern was, but that would be a really nice place for him to settle. Connor was one hell of a college player. Uh, moving to the defensive side of the football, Penn state uh, welcoming in a defensive class of Liam Andrews, who are uh, going to be playing uh, along the defensive line for Penn state, Antoine Belgrave shorter, a cornerback, Deandre cook, a defensive lineman, TA Cunningham, a defensive lineman, uh, Xavier Gilliam, a defensive lineman, Jalen Harvey, a defensive lineman, uh, Kari Jackson, uh, Carrie Jackson going to be coming in, uh, and playing linebacker, John Mitchell, a cornerback and, uh, Vabu, uh, Torre, a safety, uh, Matt, same question. When you look short term or the most excited for 2024, Maybe not the kind of guys who jump off the screen right away, but is there one guy who you point to immediately and you're like, yeah, I think he has a chance to get some run. For for me, it's a it's a tie, and they're they're actually high school teammates. It's uh, Antoine Belgrave, Damn and John it. Mitchell. <laughs> I I had I had listed down one of the Florida corners, and and I think it's one. You hear the way Terry Smith talks about these guys, and and one of our favorite sayings between Bill and I and, and the rest of our group has been trust Terry Smith. Um, and you hear the way Terry talks about both these guys. Um, Mitchell's the higher ranked of the two. Um, there's been, you know, some of the stuff that's out there, you know, some people that think Belgrave shorter, despite the, the ratings different, might be the, the, the more talented of the two at this point. Um, and and we'll, we'll get to this here in a little bit um, as far as transfers, but cornerback is a dire need for guys to step up. And there's lots of talent on the roster. We saw, got a hint of it in the Peach Bowl. Um, but Kellen King's off to the NFL. Johnny Dixon's off to the NFL. Daquan Hardy's off to the NFL. That's basically, if I were to guess, 90% of your snaps as, at cornerback um, this past season. So there's a lot of playing time available. Um, Penn State was really fortunate this last year in that they didn't really deal with any significant injuries at cornerback. Um, that's the exception more than the rule. So you need guys that can play. Um, and both these guys um, from Mandarin and Jacksonville are um, the type of guys, just the way – like I said, the, the way a guy who knows what he's talking about and Terry Smith talks about these two guys, I think are, are two guys that are going to um, have every opportunity and have the ability to, to impact things um, sooner rather than later. Yeah. Uh, Belgrave Shorter, the number 667 player uh, in the class, number 67 at um, at cornerback. And because he's coming from Florida, he's the number 89 player in his state. Uh, you then look at Mitchell, 118, uh, player overall, 16 in his position, number 17 in the great state of Florida. Uh, you go, you know, Matt talked about them as players, but again, going through the roster, uh, Cam Miller, Zion Tracy, Elliot Washington, Lamont Payne, Audavian Collins, then a walk on and Colin Dinkins. Some talk about Payne potentially being a guy that can move to safety. If that happens, Cam Miller, Zion Tracy, Elliot Washington, Audavian Collins are your scholarship cornerbacks. And there's stuff out there about guys transferring in. Uh, we're doing this on Tuesday night at 8.50 p.m. So hasn't formally been announced. If you're out on the internet, you were aware of the guys we're talking about, but out of respect, we're not going to 
Not going to mention that, even though they are apparently in Penn State's directory at this point. But there's a path to early playing time for uh, both of these guys if they are able to take advantage of it because there just aren't a ton of bodies at a position where Penn State, especially early in seasons, um, you look at... um, you look at Penn State's schedule in 2024. Yes, they start the season going to Morgantown, which is not going to be a fun game. Then it's Bowling Green at home, bye week, Kent State at home, Illinois at home, UCLA at home, before they head out to LA to play USC. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for younger guys to get run and establish themselves. And because I don't necessarily, I don't know that there's, um, you know, I, I I don't know what's going to turn out to be in the cor- in the cornerback room, but there are going to be opportunities for them. There should be opportunities for the game. Then Penn State takes care of business of those. Uh, Matt, do you want to you want to mention the thing that you just uh, that you just told me because you said something I didn't see? Um, so Bill kind of alluded to it, and I did as well. That there are um, a pair of, of transfer cornerbacks that um, have been garnering quite a bit of, of crystal ball, and I think it was on three called the RPM predictions. Um, they are AJ Harris, who's a former five-star prospect, um, same high school as I want to say it was Christian Campbell down in Alabama. Um, so a guy that, you know, have, they have a bit of a, a background with, but, um, a, appears to be, uh, leaning towards Penn state, um, as, as a transfer. And then, um, that was loud, Bill. Are you, are you applauding my, my take? Uh, no, I was opening a can of seltzer. Okay, that's not nearly as exciting. That was a lot louder than I thought it was going to be. So <laughs> apologies to the listeners, but not to Matt. Never. Um, and the other guy is uh, Jalen Kimber, who ironically started his career at uh, at Georgia before transferring to, uh, I think there was not, not an intermediate stop to Florida. Um, both those guys have um, 100% crystal ball, RPM, future pick, whatever they're called now, um, to Penn State. We're just kind of waiting for the the official word, and obviously nothing's official until, um, you know, I guess transfers don't put pen to paper, but um, guys enroll and start taking classes, um, and the Instagram uh, graphic gets tweeted out or posted. That, there you go. It's it, it's the it's the graphic getting put on the internet. That is that is the official thing. Even though I do think uh, I do think Kimber um, has a graphic out saying he's going to Louisville and he might be uh, walking that back. Neither here nor there. Uh, let's get back on uh, on topic. I have a hunch, Matt, that you might take my answers for this. Who is your long-term guy that you're most excited about? I'll let you go first on this one because I have a couple guys no, that I can no, go no, with no, here. No, so no, I, no, I will no, defer no, to no, you no, no, so no. I don't steal your thunder once again. Yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm making you go first. I'm I'm driving this. Uh, I'm driving this train. <laughs> All right. Well, well, I will hopefully steal your thunder then. Uh, Liam Andrews, who was hey, we have a different guy. Let's go. <laughs> um. A guy Penn State's been on for a long, long time. Um, a guy that, um, again, Massachusetts, a place that they've had a lot of success identifying and, and, and getting good players out of. Um, what's unique about Liam is he was actually um, on their board as an offensive lineman for, for quite a long time. Um, Penn State was kind of struggling to, to stay in the mix until they um, gave him the, the, the opportunity to pursue uh, – defensive tackle at Penn state. And what is exciting about him. And he's, he's kind of one of those freak athletes and a guy that the type of freak athlete Penn state hasn't really had um, at, at the tackle position on the defensive line at that size, at least Um, I say freak athlete. He's not the, um, you know, they've had guys like Kevin Gibbons or even Zane Durant, who I think have that, that high level athleticism. He's a big guy though. He's six, four and a half, still just two sixties. So there's going to be a level of, of, physical growth there that needs to happen, but he's got that, that high level athleticism that Penn State's really lacked at tackle um, for, for quite a while. They've had, you know, um, good play there, but they haven't had that, that big disruptor that can stop the run can can rush the passer, you know, do all those things um, and and hold up to the physical wear and tear. So um, again, not, not someone who's going to in all likelihood see a lot of playing time, significant playing time, um, this fall, but long-term, I think he, he's a guy that we need to be really excited about. Yeah. Andrews is a, Andrews is an excellent pick. I, 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 he would be my answer if not for the fact that like, I'm just fascinated 
by how big of a lottery ticket T.A. Cunningham is. And T.A. Cunningham, uh, The Athletic had a really great story on him. Former five-star um former five-star prospect started his high school career in Georgia uh transferred to another school in Georgia then transferred out to uh California where there were some eligibility questions and then transferred to Florida where he spent his final year and he's this he's coming in listed at about 66 and a half 275 pounds defensive tackle someone who by all accounts has all the talent in the world. Like there is a special football player in there and someone who had interest from, you know, you name it, this is a school that was interested at one point or another in bringing TA Cunningham into their program. I I don't have his full list of scholarship offers up here, but just look in Georgia's on there. USC is on there. Tennessee is on there. He eventually decides to come to Penn State, and he's a kid who, because of all off-field stuff, has not been able to play football, has not been able to play enough football to really live up to when he was a five-star prospect. Matt, was he uh, was he ranked in the top 10, uh, top 10 prospects in America at one point? I don't know if he ever got that high, but I mean, he was, you know, after, I want to say his sophomore year was, like you said, you know, it was a who's who of, of offers at that point. Yeah, and he's... Now going to come up to Penn State, kind of get a fresh start on things in a a program that has done a really good job developing offensive linemen. De, uh, Deion Barnes has, uh, you know, proven from the jump that he is a very capable defensive line coach, and it's all going to be about can you take this kid who is six 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 and a half, two hundred and seventy five pounds, long arms, really good athlete, has a lot of the stuff you want but has seen his career kind of go off the rails. Can you get them back on the rails? Can you get him to a point where he is living up to that talent, living up to that potential? Because if he is Matt, if he is able to achieve that at Penn state and we will see if he does or not, who boy, is that going to be a, be, be a big, big win for James Franklin, for Deion Barnes, for everyone who was involved in getting him up to Happy Valley. He, he really is a fascinating guy for that reason. You know, he's, um, and by all accounts, he's a great kid. You know, this isn't a, a matter of um, the, 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 the player, um, you know, chasing, you know, chasing the big things. Um, you know, the people around him probably weren't necessarily looking out for his, his best interests. Um but you hear James Franklin talk about him. You hear um, you know, that athletic story that you referenced. There was a quote from, um, I want to say it was a, an anonymous college coach that talked about, you know, he's kind of a soft-spoken, you know, very polite, very, very nice guy um, that just hasn't necessarily had the best people looking out for him. Um, and, you know, got caught up in the NIL stuff in, in California and the eligibility stuff, comes back East, gets hurt, doesn't play this year. Um but when you hear James Franklin talk about him and it's, you know, like you said, this is, um, you know, if, if this works out, even if it works out to, to 80% of, of what the, that former, you know, top 15, top 25 recruit would have you believe that the talent level is, even if he gets 80% of the way there, um, it's a huge win. It's, it's um, I, I think it, it, it's, again, a testament to how Penn State recruits how they get to know players um, and they're not batting a thousand, but Penn state has done a very good job under James Franklin. of not bringing in a whole lot of knuckleheads. Uh, they don't, you don't hear about, um, you know, they, they don't have guys that show up and, and all of a sudden end up off the team, you know, six months later um, for, for the, the violation of team rules. Um, they do a really good job of, of identifying talented players, certainly, but also guys that, that fit what they want to do. And and by all accounts, this is, you know, one of those guys that hopefully getting into the more structured environment of college football and, and college life in, in general with classes and everything else um, can kind of rediscover that potential that he had a couple of years ago. Yeah. And, you know, fingers, fingers crossed. Cause you, you want to see, you want to see a kid reach that potential. And if it happens at Penn state, 
God, what a what what a thing that would be, especially with you know, like you mentioned, a guy in Andrews who seems like he ha- he's going to be a really special guy at the heart of their defense as well. Um, any any other guys you wanna you wanna mention here for any reason, Matt? I think it's you know they've got um, I've got to pull the list back up here again because if you haven't caught on yet with some of this, there's been some technical difficulties on either end and some creative editing to hopefully cover up some of it. Um, but it's you know Jalen Harvey and Xavier Gilliam, two Maryland kids um, on the defensive line. Gilliam is a guy that's going to grow into a tackle. Um, Harvey is you know that that big um, athletic edge player. Um, are two guys I think are are going to be interesting to keep an eye on. Um, it, again, it's they've they there's not any you know aside from you know the guys that we mentioned there aren't the names that jump off the page like you know he's he's the guy but there are you know these are guys that the staff identified early that they prioritize that they've they've gotten and now the exciting part for for me at least is to see you know how they develop now that they you know you get these eighteen year old kids into that more structured environment with nutrition and training and practice and everything else that they, they have access to now um, and seeing what happens. And, and um, I guess those would probably be a, a pair of guys that um, for Dion Barnes and his first recruiting class, um, again, have, have a load of potential that we, we want to see what happens with it. Yeah. This class lacks the, um, the denied Dennis Sutton, Micah Parsons, five-star kid who like, from the moment he steps on campus, there's just an alpha dog thing about him. But there's it's a really talented class, really fun class. We'll be talking about uh, the guys who haven't enrolled early a little bit farther uh, down the road. So thank you, everyone, for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. Uh, please make sure you subscribe wherever you go and get your podcast. Go to Apple Podcasts, five-star review over there. Spotify, leave us five stars over there. Head over to YouTube, uh, like us, subscribe over there, hop into the comments, talk ball. Uh, over there follow us on twitter at rlr blog uh and of course thank you again to homefield apparel for sponsoring the podcast use the promo code rlr23 for your first order for 15 percent off one last time thank you everyone for listening uh to this edition of royal lions roar for matt to bear i'm bill de filippo take care everyone <laughs>